order in the church. 1 Timothy chapter 5. I'm going to be speaking about order in the church, which is probably a good subject for the hour that we're living in right now. I'm going to be starting in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 at the very beginning of chapter 5 in regard to the older members. Paul admonished Timothy to minister to the various kinds of people in the church, not to show partiality. Since Timothy was a young man, um, in verses 3 through 10, he might have been tempted to ignore older folks or older members of the church. So Paul urges him to love and to serve all people regardless of their ages. The church is a family. We need to treat the older members like family, like like your mother and father, like your younger uh, brothers and sisters would be your brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, from the beginning of its ministry, the church had a concern for believing widows. And of course, the nation of Israel had sought to care for widows. And God had given special legislation to protect widows. God's special care for the widows is a recurring theme in the scriptures. And um, see Deuteronomy 14, verse 29, Psalms 94, and Malachi 3, verse 5. It was only right that the local church show compassion to these women who were in need. However, the church must be careful not to waste its resources on people who really are not in need. Whether we like it or not, or, or let me put it this way, whether we like to admit it or not, there are individuals and there are entire families that, quote, milk the local churches. Or we've heard the phrase, milk the system also. While they, while they themselves refuse to work or they refuse to use their own resources wisely. So as long as they can get handouts from the church, you know, maybe they think, well, why bother to go to work? I can get this free or that free and I can just stay home. Well, Paul listed the qualifications of a widow. A widow must, that which she must meet if, if she's going to be supported by the local church. And one of those rec uh, requirements or qualifications would be that she would be desolate. If a, if a widow had relatives, they should care for her so that the church might use its money to care for others who have no help. If her own children were dead, then her grandchildren, or as the King James uh, translates it, her nephews should accept the responsibility. When you recall that society in that day, they did not have the kind of institutions we have today. They didn't have uh, social security, they didn't have pensions and retirement and retirement homes and so forth and so on. And so you can see how important family care really was at that time. But, you know, even at that, at, not just at that time, but even at this time, it doesn't change the word of God, no matter what time it is. The, the presence of such institutions today does not relieve any family of its loving family obligations. The Bible says, honor thy father and mother. That's still in the Bible. So suppose a relative is unwilling to help support a loved one. The Bible says that that one is worse than, a, I believe the King James says, than an infidel and an unbeliever, or an infidel and a liar. 
infidel, which is an unbeliever. Well, this was Paul's judgment. Um, you know, we love God by loving his people. And he has special concern. He has a special concern for the widows and the elderly and the orphans. And we all we need to do is read the Bible to find that out. Find out his will on that. The church could not care for all the widows in the city, but it should care for the believers who are part of their fellowship. We should, the Bible says, do good unto all, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. A widow in the church helps, uh, should not be a, quote, self-indulgent person or seek seeking pleasure type person but a godly woman who her hope is in God and and has a ministry of intercession and prayer a godly widow see Luke chapter 2 it's been my experience on three different occasions that to see that godly women Godly widows are spiritual powerhouses, actually, in the church. They're the backbone of the prayer meetings many, many times. They give themselves to visitation, and they swell the ranks of teachers in our Sunday schools. It's also been uh, my experience that if a widow is not godly, she can be a great problem to the church. She will demand attention, or she will complain about what the younger people do, and and often she'll hang on the telephone and gossip about even in regard to pray, using prayer as her as her tool to you might say to pass on information about others rather than to be sincere in her heart about intercession and prayer for others she only wants her her friends to be able to pray more intelligently that might be her excuse but that's really not the the way it is at all because in some people's hearts they're um what they're doing is they're in the name of prayer is actually gossiping backbiting or slandering someone so paul made it clear in first timothy 5 and 7 that church uh helped widows they must be blameless that that was another thing that was a qualification irreproachable at least 60 years old. Verse 9. A woman of this age is not likely going to uh, get remarried in that day. Though today, uh, 60, you know, is not really old today. Perhaps the verb taken into the number gives us a clue. It, it literally means to be enrolled, in, be enrolled and put on the list. So the word was used for the enrollment of soldiers. The early church had an official list of the names of the qualified widows. And we get the impression that these, quote, enlisted women ministered to the congregation in various ways. And if you'll remember Dorcas and her widow friends, you'll see, you'll see that there. Paul probably would have told us if they had been officially ordained as deaconesses. And then in verse 9b, a good marriage record they had to have. We, we've met this same requirement before uh, for bishops and for deacons. In 1 Timothy 3, we 
we spoke about that. The implication is that the widow was not a divorced woman. Well, since younger widows were advised to remarry in 1 Timothy 5.14, this stipulation cannot refer to a woman who had a temporary second marriage after the death of her husband. Faithfulness to one's marriage vows is very important in the eyes of God. A witness of good works in verse 10, if a person is faithfully serving God, the light will shine and others will see that light and they will glorify God. Um, brought up children would refer to either to a widow's, widow's own children or the reference maybe to orphans who needed a home. If it refers to her own children, then they would have to be or would have to have died. Otherwise, the church would not support her. It is likely that the reference here is to the uh, practice of rescuing abandoned children and raising them to know the Lord. That could be what it's referring to. Hospitality is a, is a whole other factor for this was an important, very important ministry in those days when travel was dangerous and safe places to sleep were scarce. And then the washing of feet does not refer to a special ritual, but to the common practice of washing a guest's feet when he or she arrived in the home. Um, it was not beneath this woman's dignity to take the place of a humble servant. Relieved the afflicted could cover many kinds of ministries to the needy, uh, feeding the hungry, caring for the sick, encouraging the sorrowing, and so forth. So, pastors, I know, give thanks for these godly women who minister to the to the material and physical needs in the church. In chapter 5, verses 17 through 25, in regard, regard to church officers, these widows were cared for by the church, but they in turn helped to care for the church. And then the younger widows, in verse 11 through 16, the younger, younger widows would technically be women under 60 years of age, but no doubt Paul had much younger women in mind. It was not likely that a 59-year-old woman would bear children if she remarried. And then the dangers of travel, the ravages of disease and war and a host of other things could actually rob a young wife of her husband. But Paul forbade Timothy to enroll the younger widows. And he put them um, under the care of the church. And the reasons for refusing them in verses 11 through 14, because of their age, younger widows are naturally attracted to men and want to marry again. And Paul seemed to imply in 1 Timothy 5 and 12 that each of these widows enrolled, pledged herself to remain a widow and serve the Lord in the church. Now, this pledge must not be interpreted as a, quote, vow of celibacy, nor should we look on this group of ministering widows as a special monastic order. It was not. There seemed to be an agreement between the widows and between uh, the widows and the church that they would remain widows and that they would serve the Lord. 
there's another possible interpretation. These younger widows, if supported by the church, would have opportunities to, quote, live it up, to find other husbands, or most likely might be unbelievers. By marrying unbelievers, they would be casting off their first faith. I really prefer the um, explanation where Paul makes it clear in 1 Timothy verse 13, chapter 5, that younger widows, if cared for by the church, would have time on their hands and get involved in sinful activities. They would get in the habit of being idle instead of being useful. They would gad about from house to house and indulge in gossip and be busybodies. So there, there's a definite, definite possibility. There's a definite connection between idleness and sin. We all know that. So Paul warned Timothy against using the charity, <clears throat> excuse me, or ministry of the church to encourage people to be idle. The church certainly ought to assist those who really need help, but it must not subsidize sin. In verses 14 through 16, moving from the negative, Paul listed the positive things he wanted the younger widows to do, to be accepted and to be approved in the church. He wanted the younger widows to marry and have families. While not every person is supposed to get married, marriage is natural for most people who have been married before especially. So why remain in lonely widowhood if there is yet opportunity for a husband and even a family? All this would, of course, depend on the Lord and, and, if, and if it was in the Lord that you were doing this. The Bible says, be fruitful and multiply. That was multiplied that was God's mandate to our first parents in Genesis 1 so the normal result in marriage is a family those today who refuse to have children because of the awfulness of the times should check out how difficult the times were in Paul's day if Christians don't have children and raise them to live for God who will That's a good question. And Timothy chapter 5 verse 14 literally means rule the house, guide the house. The wife should manage the affairs of the household and her husband should trust her to do so. See Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. Marriage is a partnership, but each partner has a special sphere of responsibility. Few men can do in a home what a woman can do and that's not to take anything at all away from men it's uh, read Proverbs 31 <laughs> that's all I'll say about that the word occasion is a military term that means a quote a base up of operations so a Christian wife who is not doing her job at home gives Satan a beachhead for his operations and the results are tragic. Though there are times when a Christian wife and mother may have to work outside the home, it must not destroy her ministry in the home. The wife who works simply to get luxuries may discover too late that she has lost some necessities. It may be all 
right to have what money can buy if you don't lose what money cannot buy. How Christian wives and mothers manage their homes, this can be a testimony to those outside the church, just as as a pastor is, just as a pastor is to have a good reputation with outsiders. Then in um, not only with outsiders, but of the servants. Um, are not to bring reproach on God's word. See 1 Timothy 3, 7. So wives are to have a good witness. Women may not be able to be elders of the church, but they can minister for the Lord. They can minister right there in their own homes. See Titus 2, 4 and 5. For an additional emphasis on this vital ministry, read Titus chapter 2. Paul then summarized the principle of each family caring for the needs of its own members in verse 16. And then Paul did not tell these widows should be relieved. He didn't tell how they should be relieved. Taking them into a home or uh, giving them employment, he did not say. He did not uh, explain that. So, each local assembly would have to decide this according to the needs of individual cases. And, you know, some might ask, well, how does this principle apply to Christians today? Because our day is so different than than that day. Well, certainly, you know what? We must honor our parents and our grandparents and seek to provide for them if they have needs. Not every Christian family is able to take in another member. Not every widow wants to live in uh, with her children. And where there is sickness or there's handicap, there's professional care that's necessary and needed. And so this cannot be given in a home. Each family must decide what God's will is in the matter. Always seek the heart of God and no decision is easy. So the important thing is that believers will show concern and do all that they can do to help each other. That concern and that compassion and that love is is just so important. Um, In verses 17 through 25, in regard to church officers, the instructions in this section deal primarily with the elders but the principles also apply to a pastor's relationship with any officer in his church. It's a wonderful thing when the elders and deacons work together in harmony, they work together in love, but it's tragic when a pastor tries to become a spiritual dictator um, or when an officer tries to be a permanent, preeminent, I should say, big shot. Uh, apparently Timothy was having some problems with the elders of the church at Ephesus. He was a young man and still he had much to learn. Ephesus was not an easy place to minister and furthermore Timothy had followed Paul as an overseer of the church and Paul would not be an easy man to follow. Paul's farewell address to the um, Ephesians elders And Acts 20 shows how hard he had worked and how faithful that he had been and how much 
that the elders loved Paul. In spite of the fact that Paul had personally sent Timothy to Ephesus, the young man was having a hard time. This situation may be the reason for Paul's instruction about wine in 1 Timothy 5.23. You know, some might ask, well, did Timothy have stomach trouble? Was he ill because of his many responsibilities and problems? Or had he tried to follow the idea of some ascetics? Um, Only to maybe discover that his diet was making him worse instead of better. We don't know the answers to all these questions. We can only read between the lines. So it is worth noting that Paul's mention of wine here is not an endorsement of the entire alcohol industry. Using wine for medicinal reasons is not an encouragement for social drinking. As we have seen, Though the Bible does not demand total abstinence, it does denounce drunkenness. Paul counseled Timothy in in his relationship to the elders by discussing uh, three different topics. So in verses 17 through 18, uh, paying the, in regard to paying the elders in the early church, instead of one pastor, several elders they ministered to the people. Well, these men would devote themselves full-time to the work of the Lord, and then therefore they deserve some kind of pay. In most congregations today, the elders are laymen who have other vocations, but who assist in the work of the church. Usually the pastoral staff are the only full-time workers in the church. Of course, there there's also secretaries and custodians in many churches and so forth, but Paul was not writing about them. There were two kinds of elders in the church. There were ruling elders who sur- supervised the work of the congregation, and then there were teaching elders who taught the Word of God. These elders were chosen from the congregation on the basis of God's call, the Spirit's equipping, and the witness and the work of the men themselves. Um, After they were chosen, they were ordained and they were set apart for this ministry. The local church needs both ruling and teaching. They need it both. The, The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, gives the gifts of helps and governments to the church. 1 Corinthians 12. If a church is not organized, there will be wasted effort, wasted money, and opportunities. If spiritually-minded leaders do not supervise the various ministries of the local church, there will be total chaos instead of order. However, this supervision must not be dictatorial. So you do not manage the work of a local church in the same manner as you do a grocery store or a manufacturing plant. While a church should follow, say, good business principles, maybe, it's not a business. The ruthless way some church leaders have pushed people around is a disgrace to the gospel. But ruling without teaching would accomplish very little. So the local church grows through the ministry of the Word of God, 
um, you can't rule over babies unless the believers are fed and cleansed and strengthened by the word they're going to be weak and useless and they'll only create problems Paul told Timothy to be sure that the leaders were paid adequately on the basis of their ministries he quoted an Old Testament law to prove his point in Deuteronomy 25 and 4. And the best commentary on this is 1 Corinthians 9, 7 through 14. Then Paul added a statement from our Lord Jesus Christ, and he said the laborer deserves his wages. So this was a common saying in that day, but Paul equated the words of Christ with the Old Testament scripture. If pastors are faithful in feeding and leading the people, then the church ought to be faithful and pay them adequately. As it says in 1 Timothy 5.17, double honor can be translated generous pay. <laughs> the word honor is used as in honorarium. It is God's plan that the needs of his servants be met by their local churches, and then he will bless churches that are faithful to his servants. If a church is not faithful and its pastor's needs are not met, it is, it's a poor testimony, and God has, all, has ways of dealing with those situations. He can provide through other means. But then the church misses the blessing, or he, he may move his servants somewhere else. And then the other side of, of that a story is a pastor must never minister simply to earn money. See Timothy, 1 Timothy 3 and 3. To negotiate with churches or to canvas around looking for a place with a bigger salary. That's not in the will of God. Nor is it right for a pastor to bring into his sermons his own financial needs, hoping to what? Arouse some support from the financial committee. Amen. Not right. Not a good thing to do. In verses 19 through 21, disciplining the elders. Church's discipline usually goes to one of two extremes. Either there is no discipline at all, and the church languishes because of disobedience and sin, or the church officers become evangelical policemen who hold a kangaroo court and violate many of the Bible's spiritual principles. So, let's see. Paul, in, in the scriptures in 1 Timothy 5, 19-21, discuss the disciplining of church leaders. It's sad when a church member must be disciplined, but it is never, or excuse me, it is even sadder when a spiritual leader fails and must be disciplined. For leaders, when they fail, have a way of affecting others. And then this thought needs to be brought out. The purpose of discipline is restoration. It is not revenge. So our purpose must be to save the offender, not to drive him away. Our attitude must be one of love and tenderness. Galatians 6, 1 through 3. 
The verb restore that Paul used in Galatians 6 and 1 means to set a, a broken bone. Let me say that again. In the verb restore that Paul uses in Galatians 6 and 1 means to set a broken bone. Think of the patience. Think of the tenderness involved in that procedure. Paul's first caution to Timothy was to be sure of his facts. And the way to do this is to what? Have witnesses. I think there's a dual application of the principle um, suggested here. First of all, those who make any accusations against a pastor must be able to support it with witnesses. Rumor and suspicion are not adequate grounds for discipline. And then second, when an accusation is made, witnesses ought to be present. So in other words, the accused has the right to face his accusers in the presence of witnesses. Paul's second caution was that Timothy do everything openly and above board. Because, you know, the under-the-counter politics of City Hall have no place in a church. In secret have I said nothing, said Jesus in John 18 and 20. So if an officer is guilty, then he should be rebuked before all the other leaders. 1 Timothy 5 and 20, he should be given over to repent. And if he does not, if he does he should be forgiven of course second corinthians 2 and once he is forgiven the matter is settled and should never be brought up again and then paul's third caution was in first timothy 5 21 is that timothy obey the word no matter what his personal feelings might be so he should act without prejudice against or partiality for the accused officer there are no seniority rights in a local church. Each member has the same standing before God and before God's word. To show either prejudice or partiality is to make the situation even worse. Selecting and ordaining the elders in verses 22 through 25 as we close this chapter, only God knows the hearts of everyone. The church needs spiritual wisdom. The church needs guidance in selecting its officers. The church needs much prayer put before all that. It's a dangerous to it's is dangerous to impulsively place a, a new Christian or a new church member in a place of spiritual responsibility. Some people's sins are clearly seen. Others are able to cover up their sins. So though, though their sins pursue them, it says in 1 Timothy 5.24, the good works of dedicated believers ought to be evident. It should be evident. Even though they don't serve in order to be seen of people, they serve because they love the Lord and their works of of the their and their dedication ought to be evident to everyone. In other words, the church must carefully investigate the lives of potential leaders to make sure that there's nothing seriously wrong there. 
to ordain elders with sin in their lives is to actually partake of those sins. If simply saying goodbye or God be with you to a heretic makes us partakers of his evil deeds, see 2 John 10 and 11, then how much guiltier are we if we ordain people whose lives are not right with God? No pastor or church member is perfect, no, needless to say. None of us are perfect. But that should not hinder us from striving for perfection. The ministry of a local church rises and falls with its leadership. Godly leadership means God's blessing. And that is what we want and that is what we need.